Good morning again, everyone. Let's see, are we on? We good? Man, it's so good again to see you all. My name is Josh Diggs. I am one of the ministers here at Clear Creek. And again, a warm welcome to each of you joining us here or at home online. We'd love to get to connect with you. So after our gathering, uh, if you have questions or comments or want to know more about what's going on here or to take your next step, just join us at the Next Step Bar in the lobby. We'd love to answer questions. And if you're online, just text us or put a little comment in the chat and we will be with you as well just to help you in your journey of faith as well. Now this morning, it's kind of a big deal for us Christians, isn't it? Anyone else think this is a big deal? Do, do I need to go back home and try this again? This is a big deal. Today is the Super Bowl of Christianity. Today is the seventh game of the World Series. A- anyone tracking with me on this one? Today is the moment that changed everything. All that God had been doing, not for a season, but for eternity. It comes to this moment. And I want you to know something. Everything God planned before time began that happened there on the cross, then the resurrection of Jesus, is all to then come to you this morning. Do you understand that you are the purpose for God's resurrection? If it was not for you, if it was not for me, Christ would not have died or needed to be raised from the dead. Do we understand each other here? It is because of us and because of our friends and neighbors, because of this world that Christ did what he did. And so I hope this morning you take hold of the goodness of God and that even if you're a skeptic, if you're kind of kicking the tires of faith, that's okay. But would you just at least consider the possibility that all that we're talking about is for you and because God loves you. Now this morning, as we get into the lesson, I want to teach you on this resurrection morning what I call the seed principle, the seed principle. And whether you're a Christian or a churchgoer, whether you have never darkened a door before today, whether you love God, don't know God, not sure about God, doesn't matter where you are, here's the reality. You already know, and whether you know it or not, are living out the seed principle in your life. In fact, this is a fundamental truth that goes back to the resurrection. And if we will grab onto it, it has the potential to change everything. But before we get into that, can we just agree that it is so nice to see springtime finally coming around? Anyone else just so glad to pull out that Claritin and, you know, and just be, man, it's like, it is here. And I think for us Chattanoogans, man, we have earned, especially this last year, have we not earned a good springtime? Anyone else feel like we've earned it after the year we've just had? I mean, it's great. You've got birds outside chirping. You've got people eating every meal outside, even if it's in the 30s like it is today, because doggone it, we are Chattanoogans, and that's what we're going to do. And I love it because all of the potholes are in bloom. It's just a great, great time of year. So, you know, one of the things I think we all love about spring is the desire and and sort of this innate sense that we want things to be new, don't we? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I want my life, I want things to be fresh and new, And as I've been processing this idea of newness, it's so interesting that this isn't simply a surface-level desire, but it is a soul-level yearning that we would have something and be new. In fact, it's amazing what we will do to try and feel new, isn't it? 
how many of us have bought things, don't raise your hand, but how many of us have bought things that we later regretted buying all because we thought that thing would help us feel new in a particular way? So let me give you a few examples. You don't, maybe these aren't yours, but these are mine. So you buy uh, some clothing because you look at what once was a six-pack and now is like this keg. And you think, if I just buy something new, a different outfit, I will feel new. Or some of you, maybe you buy that new car to get that new car smell. Or maybe you buy something else. Or maybe you look for a new relationship because, after all, the new relationship will make you feel new. But isn't it interesting? doesn't matter who you are, and I don't even know maybe all of you, but here's the reality. No matter how new that thing is, given enough time, those new set of clothing become your old clothing, don't they? That new car becomes the old car. That new relationship, don't anyone nudge someone. That new relationship becomes an old relationship. It's amazing what we will do to try and to feel new. And here's the reality. When things begin to wear off on the newness, we look for something else to fill that newness because most of us, whether we realize it or not, are chasing the feeling of new more than becoming new ourselves. And what we're trying to do is to change ourselves from the outside in. If I can simply add certain things on to the surface of my life, then I will become new. The resurrection, Easter Sunday, is the promise that all that you and I crave, whether you love God or don't know God, the desire for newness is something God has put in you so God can fill up within you. In other words, all these other things, we try to fix ourselves from the outside in, but the resurrection says God wants to fix us, fill us, make us new from the inside out. That's what Easter is all about. In fact, I think if you want to summarize the message this morning, it can be summarized with a simple picture of this flower or set of flowers right here. By the way, Jana Cannon bought these and brought these for this morning. Aren't they beautiful? Yes, thank you, Jana. I want her to help me in the future, so help me out here this morning, family. But think about it. This flower, you say, what does that have to do with Easter? I will tell you, I believe it has everything to do with Easter because here's, here's the reality. Let, let's do it this way. Show of hands, how many of you would say that you have a green thumb? When you're around plants, they just grow. Maybe you sing to them and apples pop out. Anyone in here? Go ahead and raise those hands high. Keep them up. Okay, there's like four of you in here. All right, I'm talking to a bunch of city folks, so I will go slow over the next few minutes here. The way I understand it, when it comes to plants, whether it's a tree, a bush, a flower, you need a few basic ingredients. And this is true across the board, but some basic ingredients. For instance, you need some soil, right? Some dirt. Uh, You need some water. You need light. You need... Some of these basic things, but one of the things that you absolutely have to have if you're going to grow a tree, plant, or flower are seeds, correct? You can have dirt, you can have water, you can have sunlight, but if that's all you have, all you'll have is a mud pit. My children love those. You need seed to be able to produce a tree, a plant, a flower. Now, here's the reality. The tree, the plant, the flower start out as a seed, but when combined with these other elements, something happens within them. Let's talk basic, basic, uh, uh, you know, horticulture for a moment here. There's this very interesting thing that happens with plants. In fact, 
You put a seed in the ground, put a little dirt over it, water it, let sun do its thing. And it begins to go through a process. Go ahead and put the slide up. It goes through this process of transformation. How many of you know what the name of that process where a seed goes from a seed to a tree, plant, or flower? What is that process called? Germination. Who said that over here? Way to go, plant nerd. I love it. That's awesome. That is so cool. Yeah, germination. Some of you are going, I didn't know I was going to get a horticultural, you know, exam or teaching here at church. Well, listen, just don't ever say that we don't teach you anything at church. Yeah, so it's called germination. Germination is the process of a seed being changed into a tree plant or flower. But here's an interesting thing. Here's what they don't tell you in 10th grade botany class. One of the key things that has to happen for a seed to become a tree plant or flower is it has to die, doesn't it? The seed fundamentally has to die to itself. It goes into the ground. It no longer is a seed. It gives up being simply a seed to become what it was always meant to be. It cannot hold on to what it once was to become what it was always intended to be. Now, this is why we love spring so much, right? We love spring. We love flowers. We love spring because of the flowers, not because of the seeds. Fellas, you know what I'm talking about, right? You never rolled up to your wife on your wedding anniversary or, uh, or, or maybe her birthday holding a bag of seeds going, Hey, baby, I love you. <laughs> not romantic. And you've never had a friend say to you, hey, I want you to come over to my house and look at all my beautiful flowers. So you come in and you walk in, not a flower in sight, but there's just jar after jar after jar of seed. You've never seen that because that would be weird. If you do see that, leave quickly. They may have jars of other things in the house that you don't want to see, right? Because the point... It's not the seed. The point is the flower. Here's my point. For you to become who God has called you to be, bottom line, you and I must die to something to become who God has called us to be. This is the seed principle. And this is not simply something I'm coming up with. Jesus himself taught this in John chapter 12, verse 24 and 25. Let me give you a little context before we dive in. John, 20, John 12 Jesus has just rolled in to the city of Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. That day is called Palm Sunday. And the crowds are cheering. The disciples are excited. It's the best time in the ministry of Jesus because everyone's happy. Jesus looks like the hero. The disciples think, finally, victory is ours. The people are so happy. But here's the interesting thing. The people who cheered for him to be crowned king on Sunday were cheering for him to be crucified on Friday. And Jesus knows his... That his time is very short. So he begins to teach fundamental truths, truths you and I need to know, so that his followers would be ready for what came next. And he begins to teach this in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 24. He says this, very truly, I tell you, by the way, whenever you see this phrase, pay attention. This means this is a truth from God. It's a big deal, principle for life. Hang on. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, and what? And dies. It remains only a single seed. Jesus is saying to his followers, I want you to understand something, that the seed is not the point. What it produces is the point. But the seed cannot become what it was intended to be without first dying. 
And he's going to unpack this now. He says in verse 25, But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I love this phrase. In fact, this is the idea of regeneration, isn't it? You see, with a seed, it dies, it produces a flower, but that flower produces many more seeds. In other words, the death of the seed creates new life for many more. He says, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is referring to something I'll explain in a moment. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. We'll talk about that in a second. While anyone who, interesting word, hates their life. This is such a strong word. Why does Jesus say this? We'll come back to it. Hates their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Jesus is making a few very important points. Hang with me here. Jesus is saying the, pre, the seed principle is simply this. That some of us are holding on so tightly to our lives that real life is literally slipping between our fingers. Something has to first die for new life to come about. So why does Jesus use this word, hey, what is going on? See, Jesus, Jesus is teaching his followers in metaphors and parables. He did this throughout his ministry, didn't he? And I love his followers because they're not the sharpest bunch of sticks, but they're sure trying. And they don't understand what Jesus is saying, but they're over there, they're, they're taking notes like, oh yes, a seed, mm, boy, that's good, Jesus. They have no idea what he's talking about. So he's going to explain it a little bit more. And he's trying to help them understand this principle, but he says, for you to experience the fullness of life, you first have to hate your former life. Why does he use the word hate? That's an extreme word, isn't it? Well, Jesus is trying to contrast something for us. In fact, that word hate can mean these things. Hate can mean to deny, to reject, to bury. Unless you deny your old life, reject your old life, even bury your old life, you can never experience the fullness of life. But if you will deny, reject, or bury your old life, he promises, go ahead and put this up, that they will have eternal life forever. In other words, there is this great exchange happening. And you know this to be true in your life, don't you? You've seen this happen, haven't you? That you cannot experience a new thing while holding on to the old thing. For instance, how many of you are married? Let's see some hands in here. Anyone married? Fantastic, fantastic. How many of us know that if you're married, you cannot be married while holding on to living like a single person? Would that go very well for any of you? No, 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 no. That's why God created dog houses, gentlemen. You've got to let go of the old for the new. Let me give you another example. How many of us know that if you're a grown person, but you're still living like a single college age person, how well is that working for you? Anyone else's metabolism slowed down just a little bit over the past few years? In other words, God is making very clear, and you already know this to be true in your life, that you cannot grab onto something new while holding onto something old. Something has to die. And Jesus is teaching two very important principles. Number one, He's telling them a picture of himself. He's saying, gentlemen, you do not understand what's about to happen, but I am speaking to you about what is about to happen to me. He is predicting his death that will happen within just a few days. And he's giving them a picture that says, I'm about to die. The seed of my life is going into the soil. And when it goes into the soil, there I will lie dormant in a way that people think it is all over. But I'm coming back. And he says, not only will I come back, but this will be the model for everyone else who follows me. Because he dies and comes back. Scripture says he is the first fruit 
of the resurrection, meaning he's the first one to come back. And just like a flower or a piece of fruit with seed inside of it, he brings with him the seed of life for everyone else. So that death is no longer the last thing. It's simply the first thing before the thing that goes on forever. He says, this is about me. But then he says, this is not simply a picture of himself. He's saying, this is a picture of you. This is a principle for you as well. That unless you let go of the past, you will never take hold of the future. I was talking to a friend of mine about two weeks ago. I love this guy. He is a ferocious follower of Jesus who has been plagued with alcoholism for decades. But he is, he's in that process of recovery and he is coming through in a beautiful way. And we were having this great conversation. And he said, Josh, he said, until I was ready to let go of the bottle, I could not take hold of sobriety. And I said, well, what sort of changed for you? And he said, well, it came to the point that I had not only to love what I was running to enough, but I had to grow to hate what had come before, that it was worthless to me, that it was not valuable enough to me. Because if it lingered as something I loved, I would always run back to it. Jesus is saying, for you to experience fullness of life, you have to hate your past. You say, why that? Because here's why. So many of us love our lives so much. We love our past so much, don't we? It is so easy to love our past. I'll just be real honest with you. I love me. Anyone else love themselves just a little bit? And some of you are going, that sounds so arrogant. Case in point, how many of you bathed yourself sometime in the last week? Every hand should go up right now. Okay? You want to keep yourself clean. How many of you put on clothes to your body today? You put some clothes on, right? How many of you feed yourselves? Anyone? How many of you entertain yourselves? Right? How many of you give yourself good things? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You love yourself just as I love myself. But sometimes I love the bad things about myself as well. I love my stubbornness. And here's how I know. Because I don't want to give up when I'm in an argument. I love my pride. Here's how I know. Because I don't like to admit when I'm wrong. I love my way of doing things. And here's how I know. Because I'm not not willing to change what I'm doing. In other words... Jesus' principle is true. Not only must he die to bring life, but I must let go of my old life to experience new life, and so must you. Your old life, here's the point, your old life has to end for your new life to begin. So let's just take a moment of evaluation here. If you were to draw on a piece of paper your old life, what words would define your old life? What words would be the categories by which you would say, yes, that's me? Are there things in that list that you'd start saying, now that is not who I ought to be? See, here's the reality. Some of us are saying, I can see the list, but we say, I have no power to put that to death. And if that's you, that's what's so good about Easter Sunday. Because it's not simply, it's not simply that we let go of the old, but it is also that some of us have to let go of all the good things that we thought earned our merit before God or earned our value before other people. It is the willingness to say, this does not make me a flower, a tree, or bush. A person trying to will themselves towards greatness on their own is still a seed. You have yet to become who God called you to be. And the only way to become who God has invited you and designed you to be is to lay yourself down in an act of submission, admitting the bad and the good that you've held on to as your marker of life and saying, this doesn't 
bring life. And the more that I've held on to it, more I have seen real life slip between my fingers. The more that I have to be right in my marriage, the more I see the relationship slip between my fingers. The more that I have to prove to my children that I'm the boss, the more I see that slipping between my fingers. The more that I feel like I have to prove myself in my job or prove myself in the community in which I live, the more I see the joy of life slipping between my fingers. Something has to die before something else can come to life. And so Jesus paints for us this picture. And I love what happens in Luke's gospel. This curious thing begins to happen because Jesus goes into the grave. And by the way, I just want to be very clear for all the skeptics who may be here or online. It is a historic fact that there was a man named Jesus who died on a Roman cross. Not only do Christians affirm that, but so do secular pagan historians. And it is also a fact, according to all of these historians, that Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. And I just want to speak for just a quick moment for those who may be wondering about this whole thing. Let me just tell you something. We believe Jesus rose from the grave and you need to determine what happened to Jesus as well. There's really only five options. Let me just give this to you. This is an aside, but I need you to hear this. There's really only five options for what happened to Jesus' body. Number one, we know that his body was gone, by the way. And there's only five options. Option number one is that his disciples, Jesus' followers, stole his body, right? Now... If you believe that, what it means is they had to go fight off the armed guards in front of the tomb, roll the stone that was placed in front of the tomb away. By the way, this stone was between one and two tons. Not light at all. They had to then get the body of Jesus and sneak out and they hid it. That's one view. Second option is that the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who had Jesus put to death, stole the body of Jesus. Now, if you believe that view... Then when all the disciples begin to claim Jesus rose from the dead, what would the religious leaders need to do to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead? Show the body. Never did. Third option is that Jesus didn't really die, that he simply fainted from blood loss and agony on the cross. This is the view that some hold. And some people who hold the view that that's what happened say, well, he must have fainted. They thought he was dead. They pulled him off the cross. Now, if you believe this, They then wrapped him in roughly 90 to 100 pounds of gauze. They then shoved him into a tomb, stone guards. Jesus lays there for three days, somehow revives without eating, drinking, or medical attention, pulls off his tightly wound bandages, pushes away a one to two ton stone, and either sneaks by or fights off guards. That's option number three. Option number four, let me give you this one. This is, okay, okay, I just want to be clear. This is the sexist one. I don't believe this one, okay, but I just want to be real clear here. The fourth option is simply that the women who went to the tomb went to the wrong tomb, that they just got lost. And then everyone else since then got lost when they went to the tomb. But then there's the fifth option. The fifth option when there's no body is that Jesus' body literally, physically, got up by the power of God that God miraculously moved the stone and when these guards saw what was happening when angels appeared to them they fell down like dead men and the resurrected king of the cosmos stepped forth and that's what we believe and listen it is only if that is true do any of us have a hope for resurrection in this life and the next. See, on my own, I do not have the ability to put to death what is really wrong with me. 
and I do not have the ability to resurrect myself. If I did, I would have already done it, family. And you would have too. And so this beautiful moment happens there on Easter Sunday after Jesus has been in the tomb. These ladies come to finish the burial process. And when they roll up on the tomb, they're expecting to see a stone and then a body. But there is a stone rolled away and there is no body. And they're going, what is going on? In fact, we're told in Luke, all they see are a couple of angels. Wow, angels. These angels sitting on a little park bench there right next to it. That's not really in the text I made that up, but the rest of it's true. And they're sitting there and the women see these angels and they're terrified, so they fall down. And this is what Luke says. I love this. He says this, in their fright, talking about the women, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus has the ability to take a grave and bring life. There's this interesting little detail that the Gospels make clear that Jesus was buried in a garden tomb because Jesus brings life out of death. Final point, put this on screen. Jesus is the only thing that can make all things new. This Easter, if you don't remember anything else, the seed principle is simply this. You have things in your past that you cannot move from unless you let go of. But the only one who can bring you into fullness of life is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can take all the bad, all the garbage, and bring it new. Let me tell you why, and then we're going to call it a morning. I've had way too many conversations with some of you. You'll share something, some embarrassing thing, something that for which you're ashamed. And you go, oh, if anyone ever knew about this it would just ruin me. And so you tell me, Josh, thanks for praying, but don't tell anyone. And I say, of course not, I won't. But then some time passes. And this has happened on at least three occasions in the past four months. I will be walking through the halls of this church, or I'll have someone stop me, or someone call me and tell me that you told your story to them. What once was a mark of shame and death God began to do a work and the thing you were most terrified anyone would learn about became the opening sentence of your testimony. This is what Christ can do, the resurrection He brings when we submit ourselves and trust that He will take our dead lives and He can bring new life. And this offers not just for some, it is for you as well this morning. And it's also true not just for those who have known Christ or think they ought to know Him. This is true for everyone in here. If you've never submitted to Jesus, if you've never said, I- I'm going to let go and I'm going to trust. This is also true for those of us in here. You've been a Christ follower for years. Isn't it easy to let go, but then over time begin to grab back on? See, Easter is not just for those who need to meet Jesus for the first time. It is a reminder for all of us that we need to meet him again Every day and say, I let go, I hold on, I let go, I hold on. And the promise is, he says, you hold on to me, I will never let you go. This is the principle. This is the promise of what Christ did on Easter.